Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of The Backline FC. My name is Mike and I am uh, joined by my esteemed colleague, Aaron. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on today, Mike. And we are absolutely overjoyed to be starting this project. We've been talking about it for months on end now and, and finally in the busyness of life and of enjoying the great sport of football, we have decided to embark on this this journey um, right before the World Cup. So, you know, we're going to have some, some analysis, some commentary, some general rank punditry, as they say, uh, either across the pond or on our side, wherever wherever you want, want it to be. But, it's been pretty rank over here as of late, so I'm sure we'll we'll get a little bit of you rank United States punditry today. <laughs> but uh, anyway, thanks for thanks for listening in. Uh, we're on international break, which uh, is is a unique time for uh, the footballing world because you know, as you know, we have the World Cup um, not in the summer this year for the first time in I don't know as long as I can remember. I, I really don't know the last time that there's been a World Cup mid mid season. Uh, so there's a lot hanging on these friendlies. There's a lot, uh, especially for international teams that are getting prepped for um, the world cup because they're essentially going to be, uh, rolling right into the world cup, uh, after they leave their club teams. I think some teams, you know, have a short of a, a week of prep. Um, some countries do before the world cup starts. So, um, Aaron, do you want to give us a quick, uh, run around of, of what, what's been going on with the friendlies thus far and, and what we need to be watching? Yep. All right. So, for those of you that haven't been paying attention, there's been plenty of friendlies um, in the last couple days, specifically with involving the Nations League over in Europe and then some random other matchups that we'll spend some more time on later, notably the United States and Japan duking it out in Germany at 9 o'clock on a Friday night. So a couple of quick hitters for the week. Um, England losing 1-0 to Italy in shocking fashion. Garrett Southgate has been the object of a lot of criticism in the last couple of months, specifically with his refusal to mix up his team, picking of favorites, and a stagnant attack that can't seem to really get anything going. And this game was... Who, who, does, that, who does that remind you of? The U.S. <laughs> TBD? Reminds right? me a lot of uh, Greggy. Um, <laughs> but similar, you know, all of those uh, all of those little taglines that were just spit out would uh, also perfectly encapsulate how this match went. Uh, England looked just kind of lost the entire game. Not sure if that's partly due to the fact that they've lost a lot of starters um, and had some large injuries as of late, you know, specifically Calvin Phillips going out, or just a general lack of talent with Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, being one of the notable leaves so far by um, Gareth Southgate, though to be fair, he's been shocking defensively this uh, calendar football year. So say what you want, um, but England have now been relegated to the lower tier of their Nations League pool, losing the group, um, which many people probably did not expect. And, I mean, Italy, kind of a statement win, missing out on the World Cup, but always nice to get your wins when you can, even if they really don't matter for much. Um, but Italy showing life, I, I don't necessarily think they look that great either, but getting the result done is really all you need to do in international football. Nobody's looking for you to play like Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp. Uh, I think the other match that I want to kind of highlight here is the Portugal match. So Portugal getting the job done. Two Manchester United stars shining bright between Diego Delo and Bruno Fernandes. Fernandes getting 
uh, a goal. And Delo also getting involved twice himself. So huge for him, which, I mean, Statmando and Twitter was just aflame with Diego Delo stats <laughs> after his incredible performance, which, to be fair, I have yet to see in a United jersey. <laughs> hey, well, um, jo- Jose called this in 2018. I don't know if you Yeah, that, I mean, maybe he called right it for, back for the future. I mean, maybe for Portugal. But as far as his United career has gone, he's been, I mean, he's been one of the few somewhat consistent performers this season for Manchester United, but I can't say that I've seen much from him during his first stint at United or now his second stint. Though at AC Milan, I, I do think he looked quite good going forward, but as I have always been critical of, he's not great defensively. Um, but he's always good for a worldie. Every once in a while, he'll just pull something out of his locker. So props you, to him. Hopefully this you, bodes well for United, who have yet to play in the last three weeks. So, you know, hey, a little rest, a little good good international game, get them rolling when they uh, play Manchester City at home. Or are they at home? I don't know. They play City next week. Very excited for that match, though I'm sure Erling Holland's going to have an absolute field day bossing around in the back line. So I'm not really expecting much out of them. But see, hey, the fight is the fight. Did you see Jose on Stormzy, Stormzy's new single? No, what? <laughs> you did not see this? about Jose? No, no, he's he's in the music video. I don't know if it's a new single or what it is, but I'll send it to you. After hey, this. It's, dude. It's, it's awesome. It's a music video, and Jose is just in there doing the, like, shh thing. It's, it's so great. <laughs> it is iconic. <laughs> it, is, it is iconic. Um, he just pops up everywhere. That There's also this clip of him at, at WWE London when he was yes. uh, at WWE London. Where he, when he was a Chelsea manager, the, the whoever the guy in the in the ring just goes, "Are you are you the manager of Chelsea Football Group?" And uh, that's the funniest clip I think I've ever seen. On it Twitter. was it was so great. And he like he called him like the like the the manager of the Chelsea football gang or something. Like he didn't even call it a team. He called it a gang. Which to be fair, I mean the way that Jose had that team planned, you might as well have called it a gang. They were taking absolute no prisoners. Um, but a couple other couple other good, I guess. Just quick score lines. Spain losing to Switzerland despite their uh, tactics to try and scare off the Swiss national team during their warm-up by turning on the sprinklers before the match. Serbia getting the job done against Sweden. Scotland taking down Ireland in a relatively one-sided affair. And Ukraine putting the hurt on Armenia. I wonder if oh, yeah. uh, Mkhitaryan's still playing for Armenia. But Ukraine getting the job done. Um, really cool for them. It's nice to see them having success internationally with everything going on. As we record this, Wales and Poland and Netherlands and Belgium and er, and uh, Luxembourg and Lithuania all tied at nil nil apiece with uh, Denmark putting two past France already. Wait, so Casper really? Dolberg and Andres Skov Olsen. Wow. Sputtering French team. I mean, Varane's not in the back line, so I don't know what they uh, yeah. what they expected keep making so. this as man, man united centric as possible that is, a, that is an interesting result if if denmark gets a uh you know another one past france i mean if if denmark game. if denmark wins this game i think they'll win their group which oh, really? i mean to be fair not not the strongest group but i mean denmark croatia france and austria those are all good international teams but would not have picked denmark the danes to to take down the win but i think that's that's going to conclude our brief Nations League international break wrap-up. Um, not too much else of note other than, of course, United the United States national team playing with the intensity of a half-dead dog.
for 90 minutes. Well, before we jump into that, let's let's do a quick primer for the World Cup because you know, as as you know, we're we're I mean, we're counting down the days and it's it's in sight. Um, you know, there's a lot a lot to be said about, you know, the 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 hosting, all the kind of logistical stuff, but just at a basic level, let's, you know, let's dive into some maybe way too early predictions uh, for, you know, who who kind of gets out of the group. Um, I'm I'm going to start with group A. Um, I'm I'm taking the Netherlands and and Senegal on this one. Um, I the host nation for me is always kind of a wild card. You know they they have the home field advantage, obviously, but I I just don't see. I don't even know who plays for that team. Like, who's <laughs> even on the Qatar national team? <laughs> I don't even um, know. So that one seems pretty par for the course for me. Are, are you are you thinking thinking the same? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to agree with you there. Senegal and the Dutch. I think the Orange can get things done and hopefully kind of roll out into into the international waters and maybe make some waves this year. All right, and then Group B. Obviously, we'll we'll come back to it, but I I actually have uh, I've got England getting out, and uh, I've also got Wales getting out. Um, so I've I've that that's my decision, and as much as it pains me to say, those are those are the two. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to disagree with you there. I I, I do I do still think the United States men's team will get out of that group. Um, I think they're going to set the tone with a statement win against Wales on opening day. And then I think they're going to go the, I think it's the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday. I think they're yeah, going to nice march. Black Friday match against, against England, right? I think they're going to march onto the field and take the, tank the English, English's stuff. Really? And dump some metaphorical tea in the harbor and send a pack in. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get back to that. But okay. So we're, we're, you see England and the U.S. for Group B? Yep. Okay. Um, group C, Argentina, and I'm actually going to go with Poland on this one. Um, I, I, Lewandowski's got something to prove here late on. I, I, I think this is the kind of last, you know, maybe maybe the last hurrah for a lot of these generational stars. You know, obviously Ronaldo and Messi, kind of in another league of, but you know, Lewandowski's a you know world class player, and I, I think. I think Poland, you know, has shown well overall um, in qualifying, and I just don't see Mexico. I see one of the weaker Mex- Mexican national teams that I've seen. Um, you know, I think the World Cup really does bring the best out of everyone, ideally, but I, I just don't see them having the quality to, to challenge those two. All right, I, I think I'm going to go a little bit, a little bit against the grain here, but I'm actually going to pick Mexico and Poland to get out of that group. And you're, um, you're picking, you're nuts. I think I'm gonna pick. I think I'm gonna pick Argentina not to go through. You know, you know, I because is it just the is it just the drama of it all? Well, I mean, you got you got to have a couple shocking takes to pick up some traction in this uh, in this sphere. But uh, I do think that Argentina as a whole, um, though they look they've looked. I mean, they haven't looked bad. Um, I don't think they've really done much, at least like recently, to really proved to me that they're a, a top tier side and i mean for as much as stick as we want to give mexico with you know not having the greatest of form they always come alive they have a lot of bright young talent on that team and i i could just i mean we've seen this song and dance 
so many times from Messi just completely choking at tournaments, albeit it hasn't been in the group stage. But I, I think about that team, and I think about you know the leading strike force up top between I would I would assume is going to be Lisandro Martinez um, and Messi and uh, Di Maria. I guess, I don't I'm not sure if he's still getting minutes up you know starting for them, but I'm. I, I'm just not. I think Garancho too is starting for them, or at least getting minutes. Yeah. But I'm just not. I'm not as sold on the entire Argentine national team. And something about something about Mexico, they just got they got that fight. And I just, I mean, there's been I've been burned so many times by trying to pick Argentina to do well and to go far. And you know, I'm sure I'll be eating my words in two months' time, but. I could I could honestly see Poland and Mexico taking some points off of them and squeaking through uh, ahead of them, and you know that would I think just also be kind of like a piece de resistance for the argument against Messi and Ronaldo. I think that would just be hilarious if Argentina doesn't get out of the World Cup in Messi's last appearance. Yeah, yeah, that that just that'd be really tough. That'd that'd be tough for the legacy. I think anything short of like you know, the, the quarterfinals or semifinals for Argentina is, I mean, obviously considered a failure, I think from yeah. the international perspective, I think probably from their perspective, they, they're going in wanting to win the tournament, you know? Uh, and they got, I mean, I, I say this with, they have a very strong team and I don't necessarily think that, I mean, they have Luis Diaz, they've got Diaz and uh, Martinez in the back too. So from a, you know, defensive standpoint, they're not. It's it's not a bad team. Like I'm not saying it's because I think Argentina is bad or Argentina doesn't have talent. I think they have a ton of talent. I also could just I, very much so. It would not surprise me if, for some reason, they were to not be able to get off on the right foot and drop points. Uh, because really, any game that they play in that group, they're expected to take three points from. Maybe yeah. maybe not against Mexico, but you know, I, I think it's a sneaky tough group. Saudi Arabia is not a, not a bad team. Well, we'll see on Tuesday how, how they're uh, shaping up against the U.S. Um, all right, we're on, we're on a Group D. I, I think it's pretty straightforward. Um, France, and, yeah. France and Denmark for me, I don't think we need to spend much time dwelling on that. No, I mean, Chris Wood Chris Wood going down injured is tough. Yeah. Very, very tough for Australia. So losing potentially your starting striker on a team that has never been incredibly deep um, from a talent perspective – Denmark and France are both, I mean, Denmark is flying high. They've been playing fantastic and France will figure things out. I mean, when you have arguably the best young uh, midfield pivot in the world and you have the next ascending superstar or already superstar up top. I mean, I just don't, I really don't. I mean, you have, and you have Dembele turning back the clock and all of a sudden finding tremendous form for Barcelona. I, yeah, I just don't see just, this French he just team somehow, he, Did you see that, like, uh, that quote from him that was essentially like, I wasted five years or something yeah. like this? And I'm like, I'm like, oh, when someone says that, they're they're for real now. So if he, yeah. especially if he can stay I, healthy, he's like really dynamic for, for Barca. And I think he'll. Yeah, I think the French team is going to, they'll, they'll get on a roll. I mean, you're talking about the team that has won international tournaments in the last, I mean, the last 10 years, I feel like the French national team has been the modicum of success. Like just, they are the picture of what it looks like to have a successful international team. And they're not just going to forget that form. So I think Denmark and France will cruise through that group relatively easily. Yeah. Um, okay. We're, we're on to, E now. E, you know, E is tricky. I, I, 
Looking at Japan in the last game, they look like a a team that is poised to make uh, a a sizable run. I I won't say a deep run, but I would say a sizable run. And the reason for that is because I think they they looked extremely organized. They looked like they had the young quality um, that they would need uh, offensively. Um, You know, there was just really no, at, at no point, you know, against, you know, a poor performance from the U.S., but against, you know, an energetic and kind of, you know, buzzing team, I think, in terms of youth. I think Japan looked extremely competent and experienced. And, I you know, I see that bearing bearing a lot of fruit against, you know, a team like Costa Rica, um, Spain, sort of a mixed bag at this point. I think Germany, a big, big question is, you know, can, can they stay healthy? Um, I don't know if Musiala was actually really injured from that tackle from Mueller, but I know that happened a few days ago, and maybe I haven't seen the latest update on that. But uh, I, I think Germany and Japan, those are the two okay. that I'm thinking okay. of. Um, I, I like that. I see, I see Spain. I, it, I don't know. I want, also, I want to give the CONCACAF some love. Costa Rica is not bad. Costa Rica is, is a tough not team. Bad, not bad, but, but I just... Yeah, I, I think, I guess I my 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 honest my honest take for this group is that there's not going to be... there's I think there's going to be a lot of draws. Um, I, I think maybe taking a game, winning, winning one or two games, will just punch your ticket out of the group just because I think that there's going to be quite a bit of kind of just self-inflicted pain among the group because Japan is a... Gr- incredibly well coached team they're going to run at you they have a they have a, a great back line um and with you know a lot of dynamic young players up top kubo being chief among them um i do think that, J- that japan could surprise some people i still you know I- i'm going to pick germany and spain like cream rises to the top i i do think that the german national team is and I think they they are one one of the favorites, one of the betting favorites for this entire tournament. They're incredibly deep. They have a bunch of dynamic young players, and Spain is, I think, similar to that. I, I don't think that this is you know this isn't as strong of a team as you know Spain of the of the two thousands, um, but they're a they're still a, a really really solid team with a lot of depth, and they do have some aging holes. I think that are starting to show up with you know up top. Um, yeah. And kind of in the midfield, but it's still, uh, I still think Spain and Germany are going to have the staying power and kind of understand how to really just keep the tempo up the entire, the entirety of the group stage and not, you know, just roll over. Like I, I could really see Japan losing 2-0 first day against, I, I mean, I'm sure I'm like, the first time they play Spain or Germany, whoever comes first, and I could see them losing 2-0 and then just rolling over and yeah. their World yeah. Cup being over for them. So, you know, that's going to be something to watch, but I don't think it's outside of their own possibilities, but I'm going to go Germany and Spain. I think they'll still be, you know, the two that get out. Uh, gr- group F, I, I'm I'm just saying it right out. This, to me, is the most intriguing group for a variety of reasons. I know. I know exactly who I'm picking. I This I, is... Oh. I think this. I think this group... So if you'll recall, and I bring this up at least once a month, I predicted the 2018 final. You did from Croatia. I I think I had Croatia winning. Did I have? I don't. Remember you did. Yeah. So for those Croatia of you who are not not students of Mike and I's relationship, this you know our soccer talks, you know, began on a on a uh, you know locally syndicated radio show actually. And so we you know 
we we have birthed many discussions normally revolving around the world cup and yes my, mike yeah. did indeed predict the 2018 finals matchup though he did not choose france I I I love Croatia. I love Croatia as as a team. Um, you were such a Modric and Rakitic Modric is at the twilight of his career. I just think he's he's such a clever player. I think he's just he's just everything that you you know I, deep lying deep at the ten. Uh, you know he's shifty. He's he's brilliant visionary. I mean he's just got a lot of qualities that you like to see. But this is what's intriguing to me. You have two. I think you have two. You know. I would call them dark horses that are sort of in this stage of like, Hey, we're phasing out some players. Right. And I think Belgium is especially apparent, like their lineup today. I mean, they've got Vertonghen and Alderweireld at, at defense against the Netherlands. I mean, like, like that, I mean, they're quality, just... quality players, but don't get me wrong. It's just, is it, is it going to, is it going to hold up in a tournament? No. And the reason I, the reason I say that is because, you know, Canada specifically, Canada is a, is a total dark horse here because nobody expected them to go to the World Cup. They put together a brilliant run in CONCACAF. They've got, you know, the hottest player in the region, Alfonso Davies, if he can stay healthy. They've got some, you know, some quality up top. Um, and they just always kind of pieced it together. I mean, they really, during qualifying, you know, you'd watch them and, and you'd say, this is an extremely resilient, balanced team. Um, you know, are, do they have the, the kind of pure technical quality of a Belgium or Croatia? No, but they're one of those teams that you just, you don't want to play because as a cohesive unit, they're going to be difficult. They're going to be scrappy. And they've got that, the, that one or two piece kind of, kind of thing to unlock you. Um, and I think Alfonso Davies is, is sort of that piece. Morocco, again, you know, we know, we know what they bring to the table. Um, you know, Ziyech is sort of the, the, the leader there, but I honestly, I see Belgium bowing out, and I I see Belgium bowing out. You know, for wow, for a variety for a variety of reasons. But I I think it's mainly the defense that's gonna that's gonna be their downfall. Um, and I'm I'm gonna go with Canada and Croatia to get out of the group. I I, I might bite me back. That I cannot believe you're still gonna take. I mean, I, I respect you taking Croatia to get out, but you want to talk about an aging team. I mean, I agree. I'm completely in agreement. <laughs> Croatia I, is ancient compared to Belgium. I, 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 I mean, it. I like in not so like Croatia has a bunch of great young players. I mean, a couple in, I mean, a couple in, in general, you know, playing for Dinamo Zagreb who have, you know, made some actual great waves in international or in, uh, I guess, I guess technically yeah, international club competition, you know, with the Europa League last year. And then, you know, starting off very brightly, I think in the Champions League this year, but still, I mean, I'm going to agree with you. I don't think that Canada is a dark horse. I think Canada is a legitimate, you know, somebody that I, at least I expect Canada is going to get out. That's like, I almost think Canada is a lock to get out of the groups. They won CONCACAF. They were incredible in CONCACAF. They travel well. They play really well. They're a great cohesive unit. I think, I think Canada will get out of this group and I don't think they'll actually be, they'll struggle all that much. I think they're going to play incredibly well. Um, and they can be even they can make a run. I think Canada could be a team that might surprise some people, you know, as a team that really hasn't made World Cups and has been largely silent in the international scene as a, far as you know national teams go. I think Canada's really really good. Um, and I I mean I can't believe you're not Belgium like I'm going Belgium Canada one two Belgium is so good like they still I mean they have 
the greatest midfielder in the world on their team. Like I understand that you are a, a yeah. Modric man, but Kevin De Bruyne is just on an absolute another level. He, he has been playing fantastic for Manchester City and I think is the key and Lynchman to all of their success. Just his vision is incredible. They have a bunch of great young talent as well with Yuri Tielemans. It's, it's fair. They're not like, I mean, Toma, Toma Munier is also playing quite well for Dortmund and has kind of seen a bit of a resurgence. You have Thibaut Courtois, who has been, I think, the most consistent goal, goalie for the last five years, um, being fantastic at Chelsea and then continuing, though, with a bit of a, a bit of a hiccup with Real Madrid, but continuing to be fantastic with Real Madrid. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I don't, I don't see Belgium not being able to put together enough of a sustained run of form to at least get out of the group stage. Um, yeah. No, so. I, I, I think that's fair. I mean, I'm, I'm sticking, I'm kind of sticking my neck out with that one. So I'm, I'm totally, I mean, I'm doing with Argentina. You're doing it with Belgium. Yeah, I, that's, that's I, those are the two that's spicy fair. takes. Um, group G, uh, is this Brazil's world cup? That's, I think that's what a lot of people are asking. I mean, they, I think got, this is the, I think this is the hardest group. I honestly think Group G is going to be the hardest group. You have like Serbia, good team, not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Switzerland, been playing fantastic, good team, like have a lot of talent, play really well. Cameroon won the uh, the African uh, the African Cup. What was that? They won that. Yeah. Um, Brazil, great, like a bunch of really fantastic young talent, a very solid national team. This is like I I do think Group G is going to be an absolute bloodbath because all, all of these teams are great. Like they're all these, great. All these games. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's quality. It might be the group. I think it might be the group of death just officially. Like I, I, I just think yeah. like in terms of looking at it from an instinctual standpoint, I mean, any of these teams would, yeah. you know, I do, I do think the Serbs will probably do the worst. Uh, I would assume that if I was going to pick a team that wouldn't get any wins, uh, I would say Serbia is probably going to be that team. But I mean, those are, I mean, that's, that's just all great matchups. All yeah. great matchups. I, I, I like Brazil and Cameroon out of the, out of this group. Um, I, this is hard. Uh, I, you know, I mainly want to focus on Brazil, and I, I think Brazil has had between 2014, 2018. This kind of feels like the the shadows of, of those two World Cups are just going to go away. It feels like it's a young group. They're fresh. They're vibrant. They're dynamic. Um, they're they're playing the beautiful game, you know. And I think like there is there's something that that's yeah. going to resonate with people. Um, that's going to you know kind of kind of kind of later rest some of that like bad taste from 2014 that was just like absolutely you know devastating for, for yeah when i think i think yeah. something to also not skip over too is i mean neymar is quietly not i don't even know if quietly is the right word, but neymar is having one of his probably his best best season to date in a paris saint germain jersey I mean, he's playing incredible for psg is really working very well with messi and becoming more involved and becoming a distributor. And then if you you know look to pair up that run of form, if he can sustain it and stay healthy with the likes of Vinicius Jr., who's came alive for Real Madrid this season. We saw flashes of it last year, but has really came alive. You have Anthony, who, you know, absolutely star of the show at Ajax last year. 
yep. has kind of gotten off to the ground running. I don't think he's been fantastic, but I think he's been good enough for United. You know, for what you would expect, someone joining late in the window has already gotten a goal. You know, you have Alex Tellez playing well. You have you know just so many center backs to choose from among you know the talented Brazilian back line. You have Casemiro. You have. Just, I mean, so, so many proven international winners and also a bunch of young talent that is, I think, especially in this calendar year, you've seen them ascending into the point where, you know, especially we're talking about Vinicius Jr., like, I, yeah, we yeah. could be looking at the next Neymar. I mean, this guy is just absolutely slicing and dicing up La Liga and playing fantastic internationally as well. I, I, I really, really think that Brazil is hitting, is hitting their peak um, at the perfect time with their young, with their younger core. So, yep, yep, I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap it up here. We got Group H. Um, I, I like, another, another tough group. I I like Portugal. Um, I I think they're solid. I think there's a lot of options. I think Ronaldo does what he needs to do to help them get through. And I I think you know if that is deemed a kind of more of a super sub role or if that's deemed a, you know, linchpin of the attack, I, I think they're going to make it work. Yeah. Um, I mean, Portugal just looks good. They, they just look yeah. good in general. They really have good. way too much talent to not get out of this group. And I think to potentially make a deep run They're they're young. They have a, a ton of talent on the bench. It's just, it's just, they're a good team. I mean, they, they played well the last international competition they were in. I, I don't, you know, I I don't I don't see Portugal not making it out. Um, I I I don't know about the rest. I I think Uruguay is probably falling out. I I think it's between Ghana and South Korea. I really do. Wow. I mean, South Korea hasn't looked great. I mean, they obviously they have human son. I mean, but I think that if anything, the World Cup has proven to us is that you know teams with very one like with a one a one dimensional team often struggles. Yep. You think about Wales. Wales has historically struggled in World Cups and club competitions, despite or international competitions, despite having Gareth Bale at the peak of his powers. Um, I don't think that South Korea is going to get out of this group. Yeah. Um, I would pick Uruguay. I think that okay. you have uh, Federico Valverde playing really like playing fantastic for Real Madrid, playing well for the for his international team. Growing into an absolute, you know, just boss of a midfield, um, and being great at organizing, cutting out play, and also learning how to get involved um, from an attacking standpoint. I also think someone to watch for this uh, Uruguayan team is going to be uh, Federico, or I don't know if it's Federico, but Palestri, um, who's oh, yeah. a yep, yep. young Uruguayan who also happens to play for Manchester United, but has been playing quite well for Uruguay, and I do think that. I, I mean, you also have Darwin Nunez, who people are trying to crown as the next uh, the next Luis Suarez. And I think, as yeah, everybody yeah. knows, Luis Suarez really announced himself at the World Cup. So Yeah. A, I, a, don't get me wrong. It's a big World Cup. It's a big World Cup for them. Um, there there are a lot of great young players that, you know, I, I can't wait just to see who comes out of this, you know, crowned so to speak, as the next young superstar. I mean, you think about 2014 specifically, there were so many players that we kind of saw them shine. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that I think that we'll get in spades this World Cup because the young talent is just really itching to get out there and play and show what they're made of. Um, so 
I don't think Ghana's a bad team either, but I, I do I do think for me, at least in what I've seen and who I follow, uh, I think Portugal and Uruguay are going to get out. And I, I think Uruguay is going to, I think Uruguay is going to be just fine. Uh, I don't think that either team will really have to sweat all that much, but you never know. Uh, yep. Yep. Sun Hyun Ming could uh, could uh, put five past somebody all of a sudden and, you know, lift his team to a so, win. So there's, there's always the chance of that. Yeah, this is true. Um, well, let's let's transition. We'll we'll maybe do some early predictions for the for the final next next week. But let's let's jump back to the U.S. and focus on that for a little bit. There's a there's a couple of dimensions that I think we can talk about, and the first of which is what they were wearing. Um, I, you know, I don't think anyone is really jazzed about these kits, and oh, you know, I, I think. Well, what's what's funny about all of this is that there isn't I, like there's not any like Nike designed one, one good, one good international kit this year, and then the rest of them look like absolute crap. Like, well, no, they, I think I think France's looks nice. No, they, I mean it's all it, but like it's they're all the same. They're like it's all the same the same template. It's just a different different colors like. Portugal's well, what, Portugal's jerseys look look hilarious. They're bad. Belgium's look bad. I mean, the United, is, United States men's national teams look the worst. But they're absolutely worst. I I think you know. I, I mean, you've seen all the remarks on Twitter, or whatever. But so bad. The most the the most frustrating one is that they literally look like PSG's warm up kits. Like <laughs> it's I, just I mean, copy paste. PSG's like some template. Like I I can look it up, but they're literally like PSG's warm up kits that are What's, recycled oh. i i just i for the life of me i cannot figure out why you would design something that for for the big again for the biggest event in the world you're working with you know you're working with the u.s great partnership partner whatever it's put an american company there, i i, I cannot out there that's unique yeah put something out there that's going to push the, why are you doing a template kit I don't know. And I, I think something that's not being talked about either is you've seen a lot of teams go away from Nike as their kit supporter. You're seeing Adidas. I mean, notable, I guess notably, you know, Manchester United with Adidas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're, they're just, I think that you're seeing, you're seeing a lot of teams switch back to Adidas and as like, if I was in charge of the, you know, I think that making World Cup kits and international kits can be a bit of a challenge because you want to make sure that you're, you know, providing historic reverence for the colors and for the kits that have come before. But, but you have to you, put some thought in. You have to go for it. I mean, well, I just and, and, uh, what what are you doing? Like what how? Got me, what got me too was the arrogance of Nike. I mean, you can tell that they were trying to hedge their losses. I mean, they released this thing. At what, like 4 a.m. Eastern? I think it came out like on Twitter. It was like it was released very early morning. There was, you know, they basically did this complimentary thing where you could customize it, you know, first 24 hours for free or whatever. I mean, I mean, they were very clearly realizing that there were some, there was some backlash amongst the fan base, at least the active part of the fan base. I mean, you have to think the average fan for the u.s who's maybe picking up this because it's a world cup year and they want it or whatever they're probably not gonna think much of it they're gonna be like oh this is the jersey that the u.s is wearing right like that that's fine but you yeah. have to think soccer is not big enough yet where it's sort of like 
we're just going to acquiesce to whatever this is. And there's like, there's a huge backlash amongst the active part of the fan base. And for Nike to just kind of say, I mean, there were quotes from, you know, one of the Nike spokespersons people that was like, you know, oh, uh, everybody has this huge backlash when the kit comes out, the U S wins a game and all of a sudden, like it becomes the best kit ever. And I'm like, no, I remember, I remember in 2014 when, you know, the U S put, they put out the, the collared kind of, uh, all white polo home kit. And then the away kit was the bomb pop. I did not like those, either of those kits until, I mean, maybe like two years ago when I look back and I was like, Oh, that wasn't that bad. Like, yeah. It was not, I was not, I fell in love with them when they started winning. Like what, yeah. what is that? What, how is that going to in your mind? Like cement, you know, and think about it. What, what is the best, what are the best kits that people look back on? It's like the 2012 where's Waldo's <laughs> or it's, it's the 90, it's the 94 U S kits yeah, that were like what, that, like weird when, blue with like the stars. The, when was the U S successful? Like in 94, like in 2012, when it wasn't even a world cup year. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's honestly arrogance to say that like, Oh, the fan base is just going to acquiesce to this because we're going to, you know, us is going to win on the field. And then all of a sudden people are going to like, like the clothing. It's like, no, you made a bad product. You're create. You're basically taking advantage of an entire you know federation to just create like a, a literal template kit. And I don't know who's to blame. I'm not you know trying to point fingers at specific people or whatever. But it's just absolutely ridiculous for them to be like, oh yeah, like you just don't like it because they haven't won in it yet. Yeah. What a dumb point to make. Nobody's I think with that, yeah, with, with that too. I mean, it's not like Nike's like afraid to take risks. I mean, it, yeah, it, for me, it's just more of like other federations all the time. There's gr- there's some great kits. They yeah, play. I mean, notably, you have Nigeria's kit that just you know dropped in in a similar fashion, and it looks fantastic. It's this like crazy clashing bunch of like different greens and super cool patterns, and it looks awesome. But then you contrast it with the United States, which is just completely, you know, I, I feel like a twelve year old could have could have put that together or, or it looks like it, someone comment i think there was a twitter comment that was like it looks, looks, like, looks like something i'd pick up at tj maxx like yeah like it's just it's just like, not it's not a one, kit dude, the away one is like what it like what is it it's not tied dude, i don't it's know not, like, like yeah it just looks like like a weird distressed like blue bleach out of something it's just weird like but like i mean i, I do think like i mean there are plenty of other ugly kits uh, i mean the the portuguese England, i'm just gonna England keep going the portuguese bad, kit looks bad the 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 Dutch the Netherlands kit looks like if they just like if like they I don't know if it's just the way that they took the picture but I mean it's all orange yeah. but it's like you took a you took like orange colored tin foil like it's just this weird <laughs> reflective like it looks like you took orange tin foil and wrapped it into a shirt it looks like just bad and I'm like I'm like what like what? am I gonna buy any of these kits like I, I don't think so I'm not buying the U S one I'm telling you that I mean I I'd much rather buy something fan made or you know something that well and that's the best part about all of this well yeah the fans have the fan made the fan made ones are so great they look awesome hilarious i'm like this is amazing (laughs) that that's yeah like do you you give somebody like do you i think the one of the there was one of those big family ones that was circling around i was like they spent like i don't know a couple of hours and came up with three distinct good looking colorways and there's a huge like there was a huge outcry for them to sell them and so they're like okay yeah we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll do a limited run of each of these and just sell them like that's to me is like there is a a desire to purchase these things and people want to wrap their country but good goodness man just the united states kits they look it's just so hilariously yeah just a lack of a complete lack of 
of vision, a lack of design, and just completely passing the buck on a boring and just bad kit. Like you're just recycling yeah, designs. That's not great. But anyway, yeah. I mean, we 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 don't need to belabor that point. I mean, what what's really concerning is the performance on the field against Japan. And you know, I here's the, here's the thing. I think one of the craziest kind of stats I I saw was. Burhalter's tenure, I think he's one, three, and two against international teams that qualified for the World Cup. Yep. One, three, and two. And for all of the kind of hoopla and the falling in and out of love with this young squad and Burhalter's kind of system and whatever you want to call it, for all of the like kind of volatile reactions that are sort of natural for the, the U.S. soccer fan base and, you know, pundits and whatever people have have kind of lost that settled sense of like we are somewhat competitive in our own region and against lower quality opposition that we can just out frankly out muscle outpace um outwork and we have some young kind of technical talent you know we've, we've got players that some of the best clubs in europe now but we just we don't we don't have all the pieces put together yet and it's almost like everybody forgot that and we somehow thought that we were going to go, you know, toe to toe with any, any team that we kind of faced. And I'm sitting here like, when has there been a convincing performance from the U S against a high quality opposition where they, where they've looked like the more competent team. It's just not, it, it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened under Burhalter's tenure in my opinion. And so then when you get, when you get against Japan, you face high-quality opposition. You face a team that has an identity. They all know when they're coming into that camp how they're going to play, what they're going to do. And the U.S.'s identity, in some ways, the, the, the kind of the team's identity, is wrapped up in this kind of off-the-field thing where it's like, we're a brotherhood and we're, you know, we're young and we're replacing this you know, old kind of way of thinking. And, like, that's great. Like, that's a good thing to kind of tout on social media and whatever. But when you look at how they're trying to play against a, a team like Japan, it's just very naive. Yeah, it I mean, is. You, you you've got two center backs. They're fine. You know, they're fine where they're playing. Great, whatever. The, their quality for the domestic league. You know, they are not up to snuff with building the ball out of the back. They they consistently were not finding entry passes. They were con you know consistently turning the ball over. Um, you know, they're consistently caught out and looked pressured and looked, you know, uneasy. And they just did not look like they were composed enough to play whatever Greg is trying to get them to play. And then on top of that, you had the midfield who kind of had a stinker, right? And then what do you have at that point? I don't care Nothing. how much attacking brilliance you have. If you can't get the ball to these players in the right spaces and you can't build in the way that you want to, you know, ostensibly build, then you're going to lose. You're going to lose. You're going to get overwhelmed every time. And Japan provided the perfect template for how to beat the U.S. if we have two center backs who cannot play the ball out of the back consistently well. Yeah. Well, get everybody like, on a one. Yeah. I think when it one of, I mean, for me, the most damning stat of the entire game is the fact that the United States didn't manage a single shot on target. Um, to have, like, and it's not like, oh, you didn't have, like, they had 58% possession. Now, they, they didn't do anything with it, and almost all of their passes were in their own half. Um, but not getting a shot on target in 90 minutes, 
against it. You know, this is nothing to take away. Japan is not like, I'm not saying Japan is a bad team or Japan is not a, you know, someone who might be a potential, you know, dark horse in the world cup, but Japan's not like, they're not anyone that you would expect a, a team that is playing well to necessarily completely be dominated by. Like I expected this game to be relatively back and forth and, you know, to be close and to see the United States completely roll over and not even manage a shot on target, it's just, I mean, it's ter- It's terrible. But Japan, I mean, had a, Japan had a game plan that it was actually ex- executable. I, I don't think the U.S. I, I don't think the U.S. in this in that in that game. I don't think they had a game plan that was feasible, feasibly like no completable for them. Because and that's that's where I think Greg has always struggled. Is he like has these grandiose ideas of like thinking he's like the American Pep, and he just it doesn't ever work. And I'm you know it could work, and maybe you know maybe against- something. It works against lower level opposition where you have time and you have space and you have the ability to like be be cute tactically. But I mean, the first half was just what were you like? What what did what were you trying to do? I mean, I literally had no clue. Japan had their number right. They they were they were pressing high. They were pressing the center backs. They were covering the midfield well. Who's supposed to be the distributor out of the back line? In honor of this, well, podcast. It, who's, suppo- who's supposed to who's supposed to play the ball between the lines? I, I don't know. How, I mean, the best, but I, I think that the, it goes back to, and I, I want to bring this up just because I think it gets it gets just down to a lack of, you know, awareness um, with Greg. But I don't know why you are wasting precious precious prep time with your international team on Aaron Long, who has recently came back from a season-ending injury last year, has looked not good, just has looked bad for his MLS his MLS team. Why are you wasting time? Like, I, I get it, Greg. Maybe you think that Aaron Long has potential. Maybe you've seen something in training that you really like. But to even just bar that, even if he's like – if he was someone who was an out-and-out starter, somebody who has came – season-ending injury, hasn't played consistent minutes – has now came back and has looked shaky at best for his MLS club. You're now going to give a start, a precious start, when we are less than two months from the World Cup to try and like I don't know if you're trying to test out different backlines, but at this point you can't be testing out a starting eleven or testing well, out a backline. You need so to have good. a like you need to have a drilled down starting eleven that you can trust. Not even like this is just talking about in general, but. It's, Especially if you're going to try and play some sort of system that is as sophisticated and complex as he wants to be. You know, if we're playing a hoof it long and counterattack, sit back, and then play outlet balls down channels type of, you know, game plan, then sure, you can mess around with your center back pairing. You can mess around with your starting 11 because you're going to be inviting pressure instead of trying to build and hold and be the ones absorbing pressure. You can't do that. You can't do that at the club level, and you also you can't do that at an international level. You just can't. Like it, for me, it's like just looking at the, that in the context of how he wants to play, and then saying you're wasting a start on Aaron Long, who hasn't looked good, is coming back from a massive injury and has lost a step. What what is the point there? Because they didn't they couldn't play. They didn't have a successful pass when they were under pressure. I mean, it was literally it. I mean, he subbed him off at halftime, right? So he clearly, he clearly saw what was wrong, and 
to me, it would be even more damning if Aaron Long gets a start against Saudi Arabia. I, I yeah. mean, what, like he better, that, he would, that would be that would be uh, to me that would be the point where I would say, okay, he's stuck in his ways for whatever reason. He's got his players, but you look at the performance again. You go back and you look at the first half, and there was an astronomical amount of giveaways and whatever. And I'm not saying that Tyler Adams and Wes McKinney and, you know, the folks in the midfield looked great. They really, they really didn't. It was across the board, a bad, a really bad performance. But at some point you have to ask the question, if we're trying to play possession based, we're trying to break through lines, we're trying to hit long switches. There, it's just, the quality is not there. The quality is not there. And that is one of the, the kind of hardest things to deal with is you want to play a certain way, you have a vision, and then you don't have the kind of talent to bring it out. But then you have this relationship with the talent, you have a relationship with the players, and you value the kind of chemistry and the camaraderie and all this stuff, and then just all becomes muddled. And it's like, well, what's the priority going to be? Is priority going to be making sure that you got, you know, all the best the best roster for vibes? Or is it, like, it going to be the best roster that can get on the field, that can play the way that you want to play? And if it if it's like if they're bringing along guys for the vibes, but they aren't going to be able to contribute, it's a long tournament. It's a long tournament. I mean, look look at 2014. Last time we were in the World Cup, John Brooks was put on the field in the first game. Beasley went down, had a, had a, had a knock, something like that. Maybe it was Gonzalez. I don't remember. But Brooks came on in the first game and scored that goal against Ghana. I mean, there everybody's going to play. Everybody's going to yep. get some sort of minutes. Maybe besides like the third string goalkeeper, but. I, I just I cannot I get so frustrated and I, I don't know what it is. I it's it's favorites, it's people who have been in the fold or whatever and and you know the other thing that, that we can we can kinda you know talk about is is the, the striker situation, which I think oh. rightfully so. I mean it is it is very frustrating and maybe there's things that we don't see behind the scenes, but it is very frustrating as a fan, as a supporter to see somebody of the quality and the trajectory of PFOC be left off the squad before the, 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 the last camp before the World Cup because we, quote, know what he can bring to the table. That's what Burhalter said. Something to that effect, right? Same thing he said, same thing he said about John Brooks. We know what, what Jordan brings to the table, and we, we wanted to go with other guys. I, I know what Paul Ariola brings to the table. I know what shit. you know what all the players bring to the table. You know what all of them bring to the table. Oh my goodness! I, I, what what kind of quote is that? Like I, I to me, to me there is this there is this there there seems to be. I I don't know. I'm just purely speculating. There seems to be this vibe, this thing that he you know wants to maintain and there are certain players who don't fit within said vibe for whatever reason maybe they're difficult I, I i don't know what it is i literally don't know but then and then he somehow finds a way to ostracize those people and then they become a talking point and then by the time it's over you like you forget about him the the difference is you're not going to forget about pfuck he has had an amazing start to the season he has scored goals he's He's been active in the in, in the buildup. I like, he, you know, people are saying, "Oh, for you know, Ferreira like missed that header or whatever." Like, 
when are, I, when are other players going to be held accountable to the same level that Greg's least favorite players are going to be held accountable to? Yep. And no, I like, think there are certain players who are beyond accountability. And they're yeah, not, I mean, not even And he's horrible. I, I've just, never seen anything good out of Paul Ariola. I just don't I, – I, I don't see with the roster selections a genuine motivation – to bring in people who are going to put you in a position to succeed. I, I mean, he's scoring goals. That's the thing. You want people to score goals. Yep. And Josh Start, Josh Sargent scored goals. Josh Sargent had been atrocious before, you know, getting back into the championship. He just had a bad run of form. But he came back, and now he's in the squad. So what is it? What I mean, what is it like? I, I, I don't know. I don't want to get into well, it too much. Well, and I don't want to. I don't want to speculate here, but I do think that there probably is. You know, when it comes to strikers in general, I think that strikers and goalkeepers are the two positions where current form is the most direct um, impactor of output on the field. You know, strikers entering, you know, having a poor run of form are going to give you poor form. And strikers that can find their form and are playing well are going to they're going to find ways to score because of the confidence that comes with it. I know I, I I've been scoring. I trust myself to score. I'm going to be selfish here and I'm going to try this. And PFOC has done that incredibly well for Union Berlin this year and just being hungry and being in the right spots and just going for balls. And the United States needs that. I mean, I would much rather have someone who's been scoring and playing well and getting good minutes for a team in an incredibly just tough league. I mean, the fact that Union Berlin is top of the league in Germany is astounding. But they're, like, it, yeah. they're top well, of the league, whatever. But to be top of the league in the Bundesliga, where Bayern Munich has had that entire league by the scruff of its neck for, I mean, as long as I've been watching the Bundesliga, I just don't, I don't understand how you can't at least invite him to camp. And maybe some of it has to do that he snubbed the United States when he was younger um, as a French international, and then decided to. You know, transition over to the United Come States on. camp that, later I mean, on. Like, you, you can't, can't, you can't do that, right? Like, I mean, if we're at that stage, we're doomed. Like, you can't be think. If if people are thinking like that, like I just I, when it comes to international play, like if you show up and and you're trying and you're putting together a good run of form in the club, I, I, I just don't see why. Like, I don't see why. And it's not that Ferreira, you know, is not fine for for mls and scoring goals and you know worthy of being in the team like i'm not saying that i'm just saying why do we not hold him accountable when he right. gets six chances you know misses four of them and puts away two goals against a Concacaf team and we say all of a sudden oh he's on this hot run of form and then you, he misses, he like, misses the one chance you need him to make in japan or against japan and then all of a sudden it's just wow it was just a bad game on everybody well, and that's the but difference. No, we could change your trajectory of the game with that good chance. We could have. Yeah, you, see, you you put that goal away. The United States completely shifts the way that it's trying to play. And I Absolutely. think com- like probably sits back a bit more. You might be able to catch Japan overextending themselves instead of letting Japan just kind of play their game and compress you. And it just opens up a potential completely different result. And I think that the important thing to remember with international football is – Unlike club football, you are not going to get six, seven, eight, nine, ten chances a game. You're going to get three sometimes. You might only get one, like the United States. And one. if if you miss that chance, you lose that, that game. game. 
That's and if you lose that game, it's not, oh, we lose our game, we play against next week. All right, like we need to, you know, regroup because it's a long season. It's like, no, this is your chance to make a statement in international football about how the United States is ascending as a football nation before you're going to host the World Cup. You need to do that now or you lose and don't get to do that for four years. It's, you know, the, the United, you have the Euros and, you know, over in Europe, which I think allows for certain, it's about, you know, it's respected, but it's nowhere near what the World Cup is considered. And if you don't take your chances to announce yourselves and to prove the quality that you have on your team, no one will ever take you seriously. And that's something the United States has been lacking since 2012. And this is, you know, this is your chance. You have a good young team. And I can understand the inclusion of Pepe because of how young he is and someone who, you know, has been pretty not he's been pretty poor for Groningen since his move and has struggled you know but he's in a new squad a new system whatever he's young I get taking him even Ferreira he is having a great year for FC Dallas like I can understand taking him and bringing him on the bench but what I can't understand is taking some of these washed has-beens and not giving someone like Peapock who's 26 and theoretically is currently playing the best he's ever played in his career and could be someone who, when he's yeah. 30 in four years of the next World Cup, or, I mean, I'm not sure if they're going to actually wait another four. I assume it's going to be because they had to push it back. I don't really know. Whatever. Four years. He's 30. Next World Cup. That's going to be, for a lot, what a lot of people consider to be the tail end of the prime or the prime for a striker. Like, why would you not give him a chance and at least let him prove himself? I mean, he's scored crucial goals in other international games. You look at the semifinal of the CONCACAF Nations League in 2021, he scored the goal over Honduras as a late substitution. I mean, what? (laughs) I just don't understand what what more you're looking for. It's irrational. It's irrational. And then maybe, like, again, there's some of the behind the scenes. We'll never know. But it's frustrating, especially when – and the other thing, too, you know, is there's just really not – there's not a press from the media on it. Like, there's just not – I mean, there there are, like – People who are saying, oh, you know, P Fox in form, you know, he's a great player, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. But when, when Greg says something like, you know, we know what he brings to the table and we've chosen to go with other options, what the follow up there immediately is like, is he going to the World Cup? Like, are, are you saying that, you know, he, like we know what he brings to the table as in like he's settled and we just wanted to really see the other options? Or is it a, we know what he brings to the table, a.k.a. I don't want him on in the, in the squad anymore? Nobody presses that question. Yeah. And well, I mean, it's because it's no like, one's going to ask it. Because Greg, for some reason, is deemed as untouchable because he won a CONCACAF Gold Cup, even though I think... Well, why the, why would you ask that question? I mean, we're, we're literally 90 minutes. One more 90-minute game, and then the World Cup's on. Yep. Why are you not and, asking a question of why you're taught, like, why a striker who has like lit up the Bundesliga thus far by American standards and has yeah. played really well for a surging team. Why is he not in? There's not been enough aggression on that question. Well, and I, I think it comes back to just, I mean, what has been an absolutely just hilarious mark of nepotism on this U S soccer federation with the way that Burhalter was hired. You know, and I also think it's hilarious that Burhalter was fired from his first coaching job, which I've seen, you know, I'm sure everybody's seen this quote circulated, circulated online about how he was fired from Hammerby, but he was fired for not having offense and not gen- like lacking offense. And the United States has lacked offense in almost 
every single game that I've seen them play. I, I just it's it's yeah, like against a, quality opposition. I mean, I don't they they can put four or five pass you know a, a, a Panama. Uh, and also well, yeah they can do that if they score home, one and then their team is just home. going all at attack but yeah, i haven't home. seen like them systematically dismantle a good team like mexico I, I don't get me wrong i've seen them play mexico close and i've seen them play well against mexico but i haven't i've never felt like the united states strong suit has ever been scoring goals and often it seems like the goals that are scored are acts of brilliance from timothy wea or christian pulisic or Gio Reyna. Like, it's not like yeah, there's yeah, just like, like a great buildup where it's like, you know, just a bunch of triangle passes leading to a free runner released behind the back line, and then it's an easy slotted away yeah, chance. It's yeah, always yeah. a crazy finish or somebody scoring a screamer from outside the box or like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, one, one, uh, you know, one, one finish to this. I mean, studs up, studs down. Uh, are we, are we, are we winning against Saudi Arabia on Tuesday and a follow up Saudi Arabia was good. Didn't I shoot? Does, does Aaron long start? Those are the, those Uh, are the two questions. Not, not whether you think he should start, but does he start studs up to the United States winning in Saudi Arabia and studs down to Aaron long starting. I think him being yanked at halftime is somewhat emblematic of Berhalter determining that the Aaron Long Walker Zimmerman experiment of the MLS superstar backline is not at all ever going to work and is not something that should see the light of day unless half of our team is injured and lying, you know, in an ambulance. So I would be I would be legitimately shocked if Aaron Long starts after getting yanked and putting in just an absolute horrendous, horrendous performance. I mean if Greg wants to have this system, he's gotta I mean he knows. He knows they can't do what he wants to do, and if he's going to be all in on this pass-heavy possession system, he's got to make some changes, and I think he's at least smart enough to do that. But I'm not sure he's smart enough to do much else. All right, I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going to agree on both counts. I'm going to studs up. They win versus Saudi Arabia. Uh, I think it's probably like a one, like it's a one one nil situation. I think it's like probably a a set piece goal, dare I say, or a, you know, maybe like a, a you know, a Pulisic if he plays or, or, a you know, Brendan Aronson type, type goal. But, um, um that's, that's my, that's my prediction. And then I'm, I'm, yeah, studs down Aaron Long, I think subbing, getting subbed at halftime. I see, you know, probably Zimmerman starting again. I probably some sort of like, you know, Mark McKenzie probably gets the start. It's just hard to say, but you know, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if there was some weird thing. Like maybe there's a back five. Like I just, I, I have the feeling that like they, Greg was trying to do some weird stuff in the second half against Japan. You didn't see it a ton, but they were kind of playing this, like where they pushed that right back really high. Tyler Adams yeah. drops into that slot and sort of functions as like a quasi DM right back where he's playing possession from that point. I wouldn't be surprised if Greg does something weird like that. I mean, he's not known for doing that, but I can see how there might just be a weird wrinkle. In, in yeah. Some- I, I also think, I think the midfield bounces back. I think that something we didn't really cut touch much was McKinney and Adams were 
horrendous in midfield. They were quite bad, and I don't. I think that they're going to bounce back as well. well McKenny McKenny's just lost on confidence. I mean, he you know he Juve has been absolutely atrocious, and he's been I think dragged down in some of that. And I think he Adams scored some goals though. He has scored some goals for Juve. Well, he's yeah, so, but the beginning of the season overall has been bad. So. Yeah, uh, well, I do think I do think they'll bounce back. Um, one one final note to kind of button up this discussion on U.S. soccer. I just want to kind of throw this out like a dead fish, and then no comments to be made on it. But um, Greg Berhalter was hired as the United States national uh, national team head coach by Jay Berhalter, who happens to be his brother. And Jay Berhalter very quietly uh, resigned in February of 2020 from the United States Soccer Federation. So I just – I don't want any comments on that, but I just – I would like to, to point out a couple of key facts and let people draw their own um, – their own determinations on, you know, just well, the facts that Greg Berhalter was hired by his own brother, who is well, the current CEO of the United States Soccer Federation. Well, uh, thanks for your for your studs up. Just a little nugget. It's still a little, little, little journal, journalistic on, uh, nugget for everybody. Um, I'm I'm Mike, and I'm joined by by my colleague and partner in crime, Aaron. And this has been the Backline FC. Uh, we hope hope you all enjoyed listening. If you made it to this point. Um, like subscribe find us on your social medias of choice and uh, we'll be back next week we'll see ya